Our text this morning is John 1, 35 through 51. John 1, starting at verse 35. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see me. Come and you will see. So they came and saw, stayed there where he was staying, and they stayed there with him about a day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, excuse me, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, you saw, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. Let me just briefly mention one quick thing. Uh, this next weekend is our new members class. And so far, this is turning out to be the biggest class we've ever had. We had over 60 signups last week. We're expecting probably 10 to 15 to 20 more. If we get a few more, it'll be up here at the North Campus, which makes me really excited. So we, we'd love to have a few more people sign up so we can have it up here uh, in our own backyard. But no pressure. Um, with that said, uh, let's, let's pray and ask Ask God for help this morning. Father, we are so thankful for all the reasons you've given us to sing this morning. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in Holy Scripture. Father, we pray that as we think about the words of Scripture this morning, that you would open up our eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me only say this morning what is helpful for edifying these people in front of me. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many, many years ago, I was a freshman at WSU, the Harvard of the Palouse, 
And like most freshmen, I was forced to take all the freshman courses. I was forced to take Biology 101, I was forced to take English 101, I was forced to take Geology 101, affectionately known as Rocks for Jocks. Now, all these classes are very, very basic classes. They're 100-level classes, which means they're designed <clears throat> to give you the very essence of a subject, the very basic foundations of a particular subject. Now, with that in mind, <clears throat> what if WSU offered a course called Christian Discipleship 101? Hopefully they never will, for obvious reasons. But if they did offer that course, what do you think should be in that course? In other words, what is the very essence of discipleship? Said another way, what is the very essence of being a Christian? For in the New Testament, the word disciple and Christian are often used interchangeably. It's hard to think of a more relevant question than that question. What is discipleship 101? What is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian? And that brings us to John 1, 35 to 51. And in this particular passage, Jesus calls the very first disciples. And as he calls these disciples, there's four in this passage, we learn about discipleship 101. And in these verses, we learn at least three things about discipleship. We learn that a disciple follows Jesus, a disciple promotes Jesus, and a disciple trusts Jesus. So first, a disciple follows Jesus. Let's start by looking at Andrew. Andrew follows Jesus. Look with me at John 1, 35 and 36. The next day, again, John, that is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. More than likely, this is um, Andrew. We know it's Andrew for sure based on a few verses later. But it's probably also John, the writer of this gospel. Verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist is on this dusty road with two of his disciples, and along comes Jesus, and John the Baptist says in a loud, enthusiastic voice, Look, guys, the long-awaited Messiah. There he is right there, the Lamb of God. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Those last three words, they followed Jesus, are the very essence of what it means to be a disciple or a Christian. A Christian is someone who very simply follows Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So Jesus asked them, what are you looking for? In other words, why are you looking for me? What do you really want out of me? And because they're probably afraid, they change the subject. <laughs> and they say, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. When Jesus says, come and follow me, they do. Andrew follows Jesus. In addition, Peter follows Jesus. 
Look with me at verse 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which also means in Aramaic and Greek, rock or little rock. Andrew brings his brother Peter, Simon Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter, who at that point was called Simon, and says, Simon, I'm going to change your name. Now, why did he say that? That change of name was symbolic of the fact that in following Jesus, Jesus would radically transform and change Simon's life. And that's exactly what happened. As Simon Peter followed Jesus, he was changed. But like most of us, this is incredibly encouraging, Peter did not follow Jesus very well most of the time. He was a very imperfect disciple like all of us. In fact, at one point, his failure to follow Jesus was so epic that Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. I love how one scholar captures the essence of Peter. He says this, he was eager, impulsive, energetic, self-confident, aggressive, and daring, but also unstable, fickle, weak, and cowardly. He was guided more by quick impulse than logical reasoning, and he, re and he readily swayed from one extreme to the other. He was forward and often rash, liable to instability and inconsistency, but his love for and association with Christ molded him into a man of stability, humility, and courageous service for God. Peter's failures, again, are incredibly encouraging. God forgave Peter again and again and again, and God turned weak cowardly, impulsive Peter into an incredibly effective soldier in God's kingdom. But all that began as Peter tried to imperfectly follow Jesus. Andrew follows Jesus, Peter follows Jesus. In addition, Philip follows Jesus. You see a pattern here? John 1.43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now that phrase, follow me, literally, in the original language, means continue to follow me. So Jesus says to Philip, Philip, I want you to follow me, not just when it's convenient or when you feel like it, but disciples follow Jesus all the time. Disciples follow Jesus their whole lives, even when no one is watching because following Jesus is the very essence of being a disciple or a Christian. Andrew, Peter, and Philip eagerly followed Jesus, making them the first disciples. 
Now, I was born and raised in a wonderful, godly Christian home. My parents repeatedly told me about Jesus. Several times they said to me, Dave, we see no evidence of saving faith in your life. Therefore, when you die, you're going to go to hell. And that terrified me, rightfully so. I prayed the prayer, I don't know how many times it just wouldn't stick with me. I kept rebelling. I kept following Dave's desires, not following Jesus. Therefore, I was not a Christian, even though I could tell you all the right things. And I went to church, even read the Bible on occasion, but I was not following Jesus. When I was a junior in high school, I began to date a non-Christian. And I knew that what I was doing was not pleasing God. And my parents, very wisely, did not force me to break up with her. Oh, they gave me lots of counsel, told me what I was doing was foolish and sinful. After about three months, God the Holy Spirit made it very, very clear to me, Dave, you can either follow this girl or you can follow me, but you can't do both. And so, God gave me the grace and strength to break up with her, which was incredibly hard because I liked her, she was fun, she was cute, she was popular. But I knew that I couldn't follow her and follow Jesus simultaneously. And being a Christian means that we follow Jesus. So when I broke up with her, that's when I became a Christian. And my parents would say to you, that's when Dave really changed. Because he got serious about following Jesus. Being a disciple means that we follow Jesus. Following Jesus means that we imitate Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11, 1. The Apostle Paul very boldly says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can we say that to our kids and our friends? Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. 1 John 2, 6. John says, Whoever says he abides in him, that is Jesus, ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Imitating Jesus means imitating his character. Someone who's following Jesus is striving to love like Jesus loves, to forgive like Jesus forgives, to serve like Jesus serves, to be generous like Jesus is generous, to obey our Heavenly Father like Jesus obeyed His Heavenly Father. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to imitate Jesus. Following Jesus literally means that we follow Jesus, which raises the question, where is Jesus going? He's going to the cross. And he tells all of us, followers, to go to the cross with him. Mark 8, 34 and 35, Jesus, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Notice here how Jesus appeals to your self-interest. He says, do you want to save your life? Then follow me. 
Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. If you want to live a, a life of fulfillment and joy and peace intermixed with some suffering, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. And that, by the way, is the most exhilarating way to live. In addition, following Jesus means more than liking Jesus. I think it was a year and a half ago, maybe three years ago, Kyle Eidelman wrote his best-selling book called Not a Fan. And in that book, he very persuasively argues there's a huge difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Lots of American churchgoers are confused. They think that if they just like Jesus, if they're a fan of Jesus, they're good to go. They have their life insurance. No. Jesus says that we have to follow him. Well, Dave, aren't we saved by faith? Yes, we are absolutely saved by faith. We are justified by faith alone plus nothing. But if your faith is real faith, it is a following faith. Saving faith evidences itself in following faith. Yet, no one follows Jesus perfectly. Peter certainly did not follow Jesus perfectly. Aren't you thankful for Peter? I am. Being a disciple does not mean perfection, but it does mean a change of direction. We begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you follow me, I will change you. How encouraging. Jesus says to all of us this morning, if you follow me, I will change you. Who doesn't want to change? We all want to change. We should want to change. And Jesus offers to change us as we follow him. But there's more to being a disciple than following Jesus. That brings us to the second point. First, disciples follow Jesus. Second, disciples promote Jesus. They follow Jesus, and they also promote Jesus. Back to Andrew. Andrew promotes Jesus. Look at verse 40 and 41 again. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ or the anointed one. So Andrew was Simon Peter's brother, and Andrew is so excited about the Messiah that he can't help but tell his brother. And by the way, most evangelism begins in the home. How many of you show me your hands, came to faith in Christ because of a family member, a parent, a brother, a sister, raise your hand. Hey, look around, most of us. Parents, what a privilege we have of evangelizing our kids. Back to Andrew. Andrew is the patron saint of inviting Whenever we read about Andrew in the John's Gospel, he's bringing someone to Jesus. He brings his brother to Jesus here in the story. 
He brings the man with the loaves and fishes to Jesus, John 6, 8. He brings the Greeks to see Jesus in John 12, 20. Now, we can't literally today bring people to Jesus because he's ascended to the Father. He's at the Father's right hand in heaven. But we can bring people to the body of Christ, that is the church. When people come to church, they hear the gospel in the preaching and the singing. They see evidence for the gospel's power and the love that you have for one another. They see a picture of the gospel in the Lord's Supper. The church is the only place on earth where God promises to manifest his presence. Don't underestimate the power of the corporate witness to Jesus. Invite your friends to church. This is God's primary means on planet earth of turning lost sinners into saints. Now, there are different ways of promoting Jesus or doing evangelism. But inviting people to church is one of the most effective. Now, I'm not going to mention Bob McKiska's name. <laughs> He's sitting right over there. But Bob has literally invited half of North Spokane to GCF in the last year and a half. He gets the Andrew Award. Thank you, Bob. Let's, let's, well, let's thank Bob. I, I am inspired by Bob's example. Hopefully you are too. Who can you invite to church next Sunday? All the polling data indicates that most people would say yes to an invitation, but they haven't been invited. There are so many people around you, in your neighborhood, in your family, the place where you work, who've never been invited to an evangelical church. And a lot of folks would say yes based on polling data that I've seen if they just get invited. Andrew promotes Jesus through invitation. In addition, Peter promotes Jesus, but not immediately. Why? Because he was scared. Listen to John 13, 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Will you really? Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And that's exactly what happened in his moment of opportunity, Peter denies even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times because he was a coward. But that was before Pentecost. After Pentecost, when Jesus pours out the Spirit on the church, Peter is transformed into this bold, courageous lion. At Pentecost, he preaches and 3,000 are saved. Then in Acts 5, we read this incredible story, Acts 5, 40 to 42, and when they had called in the apostles, including Peter, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And according to church history, Peter is martyred for promoting Jesus through his words. Here's the good news. We have access to the exact same power source that Peter did. This was not Peter's personality. This was the power of the Holy Spirit resting on him, giving him grace and strength to tell people about Jesus. And friends, we have the same access to the same power. In our moments of weakness and fear, we must say, and that still small voice, Jesus, help. Give me boldness. Andrew promotes Jesus, Peter promotes Jesus, and then Philip promotes Jesus. John 1, to 46. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Notice Philip did not have an immediate, snappy, logical answer. <laughs> I don't know. Come and see. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> when we're evangelizing our friends, you don't have to have all the answers. Say, I don't know, but come to church and let's explore it together. Or maybe all you know is, Jesus has transformed me. Tell your friends that. I don't have all the answers, but I know that Jesus Christ has changed me. Would you come and find out more with me? Philip is so excited about finding the Messiah that he tells his friend Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus for himself. Disciples promote Jesus. The last Sunday afternoon, it was a beautiful day, and so my family decided to go to Coeur d'Alene for the afternoon. I dropped my family off at McEwen Park, parked the car, and then I rode up on a scooter to my family, and I noticed that my wife was talking to a family I did not recognize, and I quickly realized that this family was from North Spokane, and they had a child in the same class as one of my sons at Farwell Elementary School. So we began to engage this couple in conversation, and I soon found out that they were from Pakistan, and he, he uh, happened to be an, an engineer for T-Mobile in the area, pretty prestigious job, he oversees a huge region. And I, I, I felt this still small voice saying to me, Dave, you need to tell these people about Jesus. I thought, well, how am I gonna do that? So I thought, okay, Pakistan, he's probably a Muslim, and Muslims are pretty eager to talk about spiritual things. So I said to him, you're from Pakistan. Um, are you a Muslim? He said, yes. I said, oh, interesting. I said, do you worship at the mosque over by East Sprague in the valley? Yes. Are, are you a Shia or a Sunni Muslim? I began to engage him in conversation and try to figure out a little bit about how, how devout he was to Islam. And I thought, how am I going to transition from that to Jesus? So I was like, Lord, help. Help me, Lord. I said to him, you know, at one point, we, we had six different Muslims live in our basement. Uh, they were exchange students at Gonzaga, and we spent a lot of time talking about Jesus 
and Muhammad, and we could never ever agree on the identity of Jesus. He said, yeah, that, that's right. And I said, uh, well, who do you think Jesus is? And he told me. And, then, and that led us into a long, wonderful conversation about Jesus. And we, we talked about, um, I challenged him, I said, look, I said, uh, if Allah is, is just, then how can he forgive sins? Because if he's really, really just, he can't just forgive without someone paying the penalty for those sins. And he said, well, well how can your God forgive? I said, well, it's because of Jesus. I, I said, Jesus is God, lived a perfect life on my behalf, died in my place, and so he took all the punishment that my sins deserved, therefore God could remain just while forgiving me. At the end I said, you know, when, when all said and done, by the way, I said, what's your name? <laughs> Mohammed. And I laughed. I was like, really? <laughs> we laughed about it. He was a great guy. And, and by the way, th this guy Mohammed is made in God's image. So we, we had a great conversation. He was polite. He was kind. He was respectful. No one raised their voices. No one shouted. No one interrupted. We just had a wonderful conversation. But at the end, I said to him, I said, look, when all is said and done, I said, I'm going to heaven because Jesus was a good person, and you're going to heaven because you think you're a good person. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. I said, well, how do you know if you've been good enough? And he said, well, I've been a really, really good Muslim. And I finally said, you know what, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on, on these things. I said, but I love talking with you. I said, we actually have a lot in common. We both think that we should be moral people, and we both think that we should reverence God and be involved in the community and love and serve each other, but we disagree on this, this most fundamental thing. And then when the conversation was over, I, I sensed the Spirit saying to me, Dave, you should invite this person over to your house for a meal. But I didn't do it. <laughs> I chickened out. But hopefully I'll see him again because our kids go to school together. Now, why do I tell you this story? Not, not to impress you. I'm just doing what disciples are supposed to do. And furthermore, I'm not going to ask you to do what I am not willing to do myself. But most importantly, I, I, I want you to be excited about sharing your faith. There was nothing more exhilarating last week for me than talking to Muhammad about Jesus. I can't tell you in words how thrilling and exciting it was to hold out to this guy the words of life. And who knows what will happen. Who knows? Maybe God will use what I said in his life at some point to convert him. But all that to say... If you have never done that with anyone, you are missing out. It was incredibly exhilarating. And I know a lot of us are afraid to do what I did last Sunday. I was afraid. <laughs> but when you step out in faith and watch the Holy Spirit help you and give you boldness and courage and the words to say, there is nothing like it. It's incredibly exciting. And I hope you have a chance this week to do something like that 
and I hope you get a chance to watch God help you and meet you. Disciples realize that it's not enough to follow Jesus. We also must open up our mouths and talk about Jesus. People are not going to understand the gospel because you don't steal office supplies and say please and thank you and tell the truth in your expense reports. You should do all those things, don't get me wrong, but you have to open your mouth and talk about Jesus. And disciples also realize they don't have to have all the answers. These guys, Philip, Andrew, Peter, they were blue-collar workers with no seminary degree. They knew very little about Jesus, but they're already inviting their friends to come find out more. All of you have more than enough information to talk about Jesus with your friends. You don't have to take a class or get a degree. You just have to know Jesus and ask the Spirit of God for help in those moments. But with that in mind, what's the next step for you? Maybe the next step is as simple as you commit to praying earnestly for a neighbor or a coworker or a friend. Pray earnestly for opportunities and open doors. Or maybe a next step is giving a friend a book about Jesus. It's very non-threatening. Or maybe a next step for you is inviting a friend to coffee with the sole intent of sharing Jesus with them. Or maybe the next step for you uh, is inviting a non-Christian to church or serving a non-Christian in a very tangible way. We don't all have to evangelize in the same way. Not all of us are going to be able to walk up to a Muslim and engage that person in conversation. That's fine. Because there's things that you can do that I can't do very well. Maybe your gift is serving or prayer or invitation. Don't try to be like me or Peter or Pastor John. God's given you a unique personality to reach people for Jesus. What gifts has he given you? And how can you use those gifts to promote Jesus? Now at this point, we must remember that we do not become Christians by following Jesus or by promoting Jesus, do we? We become Christians through another means, which brings us to the third point. So first, disciples follow Jesus. Second, disciples promote Jesus. And third, and most importantly, disciples trust Jesus. This is where it all begins, trusting Jesus. What do we specifically trust? We trust that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 47 with me. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Probably a reference there to Jacob, the father of Israel, who was a deceiver and a conniver. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. How do we explain this? Before Nathanael's encounter with Jesus, he was sitting under a fig tree with apparently no witnesses to observe where he was or what, what he was doing. But he perceives that Jesus supernaturally saw him a day or two beforehand 
under that fig tree. So in that moment, Nathaniel realizes this guy, Jesus, is omniscient and omnipresent. Therefore, he must be the Son of God. And therefore, Nathaniel begins to worship him. It took very little evidence to convince Nathaniel that Jesus was the Son of God. Yet there's so much more evidence out there. There is the evidence of very specific fulfilled prophecies. There's the historical evidence for the resurrection. There is the evidence of literally billions of lives being changed around the globe. If that, if that evidence is unfamiliar to you, I would love to give you some resources afterwards to explore the evidence for the truthfulness of Christianity. But at this point, Nathaniel simply trusts that Jesus is the Son of God. So disciples trust Jesus is the Son of God. In addition, disciples trust that Jesus is the ladder to God. He's the Son of God, and he's the ladder to God. Look at verse 15 and 51. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Probably a reference there to the fact that Jesus performed over 37 miracles in the Gospel of John, proving that he was the Son of God. And then he expounds on one of those in verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this verse is referring to a bizarre story in Genesis 28, part of the Old Testament. It's the story of Jacob's ladder. Jacob lived a little less than 2,000 years before Jesus. Like I already mentioned, Jacob was a conniver, a deceiver. He was not a great person, but God had his hands on Jacob. Jacob has to flee for his life, ends up in the desert, falls into a deep sleep, and in that deep sleep, he has this bizarre dream where he sees this massive staircase or ladder going up to heaven. And on the staircase or ladder, he sees angels going up and down from heaven to earth. Nathaniel knew about the story because he was a Jew. Who knows, maybe he was reading that story under the fig tree when Jesus saw him. Then Jesus makes an amazing claim. He says in verse 51, Nathanael, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That title, Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite self-designation. He's making an astonishing claim. He's saying, Nathanael, I am that ladder that Jacob saw. I am the way to heaven. I am the only way to heaven. There's no other way to get to heaven but through me. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You and I need desperately a divine ladder to get us to heaven because no amount of religiosity no amount of good works no amount of bible reading and prayer or following jesus or evangelizing your friends none of those things will get you into heaven the only way for you to get to heaven is through jesus 
He is the ladder of God. He is the only way to get to heaven. And he gets us there because he lived, he died, and he rose from the grave. And when he died, he died in our place, taking all of our sins upon himself, thus removing all of our sins, enabling us to get to heaven. A disciple is first and foremost someone who recognizes there is nothing I can do to earn my way into heaven. I have to trust in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Trying to earn our way to heaven is like trying to jump across the Grand Canyon or trying to fly to the moon by flapping your arms or trying to swim to the Marianas Trench five or six miles on the floor of the Pacific without scuba gear, 36,000 feet. It's impossible. You and I must realize that there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. And once a disciple realizes that, once they understand that Jesus has made a way for them to be forgiven and get to heaven, they're going to want to follow him and they're going to want to tell their friends about him. Not because they have to, but because they want to. Because they're so excited about Jesus. They want to be like him. And they want to tell their friends about him. Back to where we started. Many of us took Geology 101, Biology 101, English 101, Western Civ 101. And if you're like me, you've forgotten most of that stuff. That was almost 25 years ago for me. And it's okay if you've forgotten those things about those basic courses. But hopefully you'll never, ever, ever forget Discipleship 101. What does it mean fundamentally to be a Christian? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus a Christian is someone who promotes Jesus. And most importantly, a Christian is someone who trusts Jesus. That's where it all begins, trusting Jesus. And the question is, for all of us this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? And if not, you can become one this morning by admitting your need for him and turning to him and asking him to forgive you. And he will. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the simplicity of the Christian life. Lord, help us to be better at following you wherever you lead. Lord, help us to be better at promoting you. Lord, may this church be marked by boldness and effective personal evangelism. Lord, help us to trust you, not just initially with salvation, but with our whole lives. We want to trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.